The doctor is in and taking your calls at 800-222-5222. It's Dr. Drew, Midday Live with Leanne Tweeden. And you can get it right now. 1205 The Time, Talk Radio, 790 KABC, the place Royal Oaks in for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweeden, and also my son Connor Oaks, also an attorney and legal analyst, so we're going to try to muddle through together. How are you doing, Connor? I'm doing very well, and happy to be here. Connor, did you ever, in your wildest dreams, think that you'd be filling in for the famous, the esteemed, the eminent, the esteemed, well, Leanne Tweeden is all that, but also Dr. Drew, Dr. because Drew. I know... Uh, you know, you're 30 years old, and so Dr. Drew... Was a formative figure in I, my youth. Iconic. I mean, he was a, a, a voice, uh, the voice of my childhood, basically. He gave me all of my uh, relationship and sex advice before I ever needed it um, uh, that I got. not just you, but a whole generation, That's really. True. I would say, really, he definitely gave me the talk uh, in lieu of you having to. So, so you should really send him a thank you note. I was so busy. Yeah. It was terrific <laughs> that he was there for you. So this is amazing. You're, so you're in for Dr. Drew, and I guess that makes me in for Leanne Tweeden, Tweeden, although nobody is going to mistake me for Leanne. Uh, She is uh, quite a terrific person. Helped to bring down Al Franken, Mm, I will say. Mm. And so she's a part of history. We'll just just put it that way. But but we're both honored to be in for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweeden today. Yeah. So we are uh, also honored to have on with us our very first guest today. His name is Dr. Richard Bandler. And he is the head of neuro-linguistic programming, uh, which creates a new understanding of how verbal and non-verbal communication affects the brain. And if you want some clarification as to exactly what that means, he's here now. Dr. Bandler, how are you? I'm quite well, thank you. So what perfect timing for us to, to book you on the show, because... Uh, At the end of the year, uh, thoughts drift slowly to the topic of New Year's resolutions. And, of course, we know from uh, our entire lives that uh, the goals are there, the ambition is there, but, I don't know, maybe 5% success, something like that. Uh, You uh, have written Thinking on Purpose, A 15-Day Plan to a Smarter Life, which sounds like a smart title, frankly. I know uh, titles sell books, and that sounds like a great one. Uh, So tell us your overview in terms of how folks can uh, improve their lives with the dawning of the new year. Well, most people don't follow through because they don't change the way they think. They just decide that they want to do something without changing the way they think about it. I've spent close to 50 years taking clients that everybody's given up on, and I very rarely see them more than one, two, or three times. Because when people have big fears, if they don't change the way they're thinking about the fear, it doesn't disappear. Uh, and uh, it, you know, just saying that on the 1st of January, I'm, I'm no longer going to overeat or I'm no longer going to stop exercising or I'm no longer going to be afraid of spiders just isn't enough. And in my book, it lays out... Let me interrupt you, doctor, and ask, first of all, I'm I'm wondering how you can make any money if if only one to three appointments and you're such an incredible success. I would think that would cut in your uh, to your ability to to make the mortgage payments. 
But can you give us a specific, let's take procrastination, for example. We're actually going to be talking about that topic a little later in the week, but I want to, I want to get your overview. Are you putting off the topic of talking about yeah, procrastination? Yeah, it's, it's automatically put off. <laughs> so, Doctor, how would you think differently about procrastination? Can you give us kind of a concrete example well, of folks when, can when sink their teeth into? when people lack motivation, typically the images in their head are just simply not big enough, and they don't have a good enough, clear enough, precise enough plan. Uh, and most people don't think about planning as what it is. Uh, when people have a bad memory of something, you know, of having failed at something repeatedly over and over again, and uh, they, they think about failing instead of thinking differently, that is, making bigger, brighter pictures where they see themselves succeeding. When basketball players practice, they don't see themselves missing shots 500 times before a game. <laughs> right. That would be stupid. And my book is all about becoming smarter. So it tells you how to go in and change the way you think, which then changes the way you feel and changes what you're capable of doing. And it lays it out in little 15-minute episodes where you read a little bit and you just change how you're thinking inside your head. If you're afraid of spiders, you shrink the pictures down to the size of a quarter. Blink them black and white for a few minutes and you stop thinking about spiders. If you're not thinking about getting things done, then the pictures have to get bigger and the voices have to get louder and you have to know where to put them in your mind. And we lay this out like it's a, because these are not psychological tricks. These are neurological tricks, neurocortical pathways, as Dr. Drew would tell you, uh, we build them all through our life and they work kind of automatically once they're built. So you have to know how to put something on top of it so it doesn't keep doing what it's doing or you need to know how to build new ones by changing the way you think. We're so talking with Dr. Richard Bandler. Uh, he is author of Thinking on Purpose, a 15-day plan to a smarter life. Connor, I, you know, from my perspective as a baby boomer, we love self-help books. Uh, Dale Carnegie, uh, David Allen has an amazing book, Getting Things Done. My impression is that from, from your perspective as a millennial, maybe folks aren't quite as receptive to that. So I'm wondering Millennials what, what... are killing the self-help book industry. We're killing every <laughs> industry. And so, yeah, why, does, why not just kill the self-help industry too? No, I think we actually uh, are receptive to the same concepts because we have the same problems, of course. Like all of the stuff that the doctor is saying is ringing true. It makes complete sense. It's just that... I think millennials are looking at a, a different place. Basically, they're looking online, and we're so invested in social media that I think we, we find social media figures who are, uh, in addition to giving good advice, who are themselves personalities that we look up to. And that's, I think, why we sort of idolize folks who we, uh, we look up to online and say, oh, well, they, they're a good example, and I can sort of you know, follow their example. But it's not always the right advice. It sounds like you might need a neurologist, a, a doctor, who could really give you the best sort of advice. Doctor, how how have you sort of come to these sort of conclusions? Are these like empirical studies that you've done? You said they, you know, we it have is, written this book. Is, this is years of having uh, used mathematical analysis, uh, the same kind of mathematical analysis used by Noam Chomsky to explain how people speak language as opposed to what grammarians do, which tell you how you should speak language. Mm. And, and we have neurological hardwiring that that functions in a certain way and what we did was find highly successful people and model how they made changes instead of studying people who had phobias we studied people who got over them Is and found a... out what they were doing and what they all did in common that worked 
is there a risk the of lowest common denominator and made it easy so people could understand it is there a uh, risk of medical doctors were mathematicians isn't there a risk, though, of, of uh, survivorship bias when you study the most successful people uh, that maybe that they are the most successful because these techniques might work for them and work on their brains, but they might not work for everybody? How do you speak to sort of the everyman who looks up at a, a Steve Jobs type or, a, you know, Elon Musk and they hear all oh, this CEO gets up every morning at 4 a.m. and then works out and then reads three books and then goes to work and then motivates 10,000 people? And you think, how can I ever get to that sort of a level? I can't even begin. I can't even do my laundry. I mean, how do you speak to that every man? Well, I give them experiences that work. Uh, I teach all over the planet. I've been doing it for 50 years. I have institutes in almost every country. I have books in almost every language. And I've been at this for 50 years. And we empirically know it works because we've been teaching people to get smarter all along and to get over their fears and to get more made, motivated. You're not going to become Elon Musk overnight, but if you're better than you were yesterday and you know it and you can feel it and do things you couldn't do yesterday, you're headed in the right direction. Dr. Richard so Bandler is our guest. He is, he is author of Thinking on Purpose, a 15-day plan to a smarter life. And uh, if you're confused by all the disparate voices here, I'm Royal Oaks, your host, and our, our co-host today, my son Connor Oaks, also an attorney and legal analyst. So let me play um, Denzel Washington, Dr. Bandler, in Philadelphia, where his famous line was, all right, explain it to me like I'm three years old. Or was it four years old? Do you recall, Connor? I don't. One yeah. of those. So here's the deal. I hear these self-help uh, approaches, and they, they do things like this. They say, okay, you want to plan your vacation. And so you write down, plan vacation to Aruba. And it just never happens. Translate that into a concrete action step, like at 11 a.m. on Tuesday, call travel agent to discuss booking tips to Aruba. Uh, and that what seems is to a be travel agent. A, that's a linchpin for for how to to convert your miasmic thoughts into action. So tell me, is there something akin to that that I could sort of latch onto? Let's say I want to, you know, cut my calorie intake to 1,600 calories a day starting January one. What would your, how would you walk me through the process to, to get me toward that goal? Well, that's not really my job. My job isn't to get you to go on a diet. My job is to get you to make decisions that you stick to. Okay, I can live and, with that. So, so what would be the steps toward making those well, proper decisions? How would I change my way of thinking? If you take a moment and think of a decision that you carry out and then think about a decision you don't carry out, I can pretty much predict the pictures won't be in the same place in your head. Right. So, so and they won't be the same size. One may be more focused than the other. And if you can tell the difference between the ones that work and the ones that don't work, then you can start making better decisions. So is it basically and visualization? I've got a picture in not, my mind of a delicious hoagie. Visualization. Uh, that that's 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 just an example. You ask for a concrete example. Okay. Sometimes the difference is in the way the feelings move through your body, either tumbling forward, rotating back, or going clockwise or counterclockwise. And sometimes you have voices on the right or the left, or you make certain sounds and they come from the front or the back. Just cataloging these and knowing the difference between decisions you actually follow and do and the ones that you don't. Even procrastinators don't wait to procrastinate. That's a good point.
Now, you talk about the importance of self-talk, Doctor. Explain to us what that means. And that sounds kind of important because I think we all kind of ruminate over, you know, which direction we want to go in our personal life and improving habits and so on. So what do you mean by right. self-talk and, and why is it so important? Well, if you're talking to yourself, uh, you're typically you're either asking questions or giving commands because there are command statements and questions. And if the voice tone you use and the kinds of questions you ask are poor questions, then you're going to get terrible results. Uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a simple phenomenon. If, it, if you're saying, how can I get this done now? It's real different than uh, why can't I do this? One is going to lead you down the rabbit hole and the other is going to get it started. It's 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 a very simple phenomenon. I really and, like that, uh, actually. I, I like that a lot. I, I'm a big fan of Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference, uh, the, the book about negotiation. And, and a big uh, part of it, the psychological tool that he uses is asking his negotiating partner an open-ended question because it forces that negotiating partner to expand their thought process and think, okay, well, how can this work? If you've got somebody cornered in a bank and they say, well, get me a, a jumbo jet to Aruba, if we're going to Aruba today, uh, and you say, okay, well, how should I get you that jumbo jet? It forces them to start thinking about actually getting it done instead of these pie-in-the-sky, big-picture ideas that never actually will go anywhere. And I really like that open-ended question you offered you, yourself. You're procrastinating, and instead of say, saying to yourself, I'll never get it done, you force your negotiating partner, the other half of your brain, to actually think about how to get it done by thinking an open-ended question to yourself with this self-talk where you say, okay, how am I going to get this done i like that a lot yeah see to me most people when they say they're planning and when they say they're thinking are actually remembering and if you remember what you can't do and start trying to figure out where it started then you're going down the rabbit hole that psychology proposes psychology is always trying to figure out what causes you to have problems rather than to look for what will cause you to have solutions and uh i try to keep it simple uh, most, I have books about negotiating. I have 32 books out now over the years on all kinds of subjects, all related to getting people to be more successful by doing simpler things and learning how to have it happen automatically so it becomes an instinctive response. All right, Dr. Richard Bandler, author of Thinking on Purpose, A 15-Day Plan to a Smarter Life. How timely for us to uh, get our heads straightened out on this. Appreciate your help today. You have a wonderful holiday season. Thanks for the time. I'd like to wish everybody Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. It's a Thank deal. You, and any other holiday they want to celebrate at this time. Thank you, Dr. Bandler, and uh, we'll see you in the new year. So that was uh, that was pretty informative. I think uh, all of our personal problems have been solved. I'm feeling know, personal Kyle? growth happening right yeah. now. So um, I want to I want to just briefly chat uh, about the impeachment situation, Connor, because I figured that perhaps you, as a as a progressive, could explain to me the the Nancy Pelosi thinking mm -hmm. here. Uh, I just don't quite get it. I mean, right. it's fine for them to impeach. Right. You know, they sure. had the right to do it, mm -hmm. just like the Republicans uh, were able to impeach uh, Bill Clinton. But for Not her to just say, like, but okay. doggone it, and wagging her finger and shaking her gavel, right. I want to know what the damn rules are for the Senate trial right. so I can know, you know, how many people to send over. I mean, let's be fair. She's going to send over the same fabulous trial lawyer, pit bull congressman as House managers, whether there's one witness or a 100 witnesses. 
And shouldn't the constitutional mandate that the House impeaches and the Senate takes care of the trial, shouldn't that uh, justify Mitch McConnell saying to her, now, Ms. Pelosi, uh, your your job is done here. You've handed the baton to us. So uh, why is it any business of hers uh, what the rules of the Senate trial are? Well, I think your assumption that the managers that she'll be sending over, Democrats from the House who will act as prosecutors during the Senate trial, uh, that your assumption that those will be the same, you know, pit bull uh, type lawyers, uh, regardless of how many witnesses or how many days. I think that's I think that's the, the, the misunderstanding. I think that actually her decision that she still has to make about who she'll send over and how they'll conduct the Senate trial. That's important information. And I think the longer the Mitch McConnell sits on that and refuses to make decisions, uh, a guy who has said, I'm not going to be a fair juror in this case. Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm definitely by. I'm definitely going to vote to exonerate Donald Trump, basically no matter what happens during this trial. Um, The longer he sits on this this rulemaking process, uh, the longer that Nancy Pelosi has to, you know, sit back and think about which manager she's going to send over. You think the the time might uh, passage of time might benefit uh, the Republicans, though, because people are all excited about impeachment. It just happened. And now we've got the holidays intervening. And if it drags on into January, don't you think they're going to say, oh, yesterday's news? Gee, didn't did we already have that Senate trial? No, I I don't think that people are excited about impeachment at all. I I think there's a a, a hardcore base. Oh, I saw the squad. I saw uh, AOC and the squad. They're really. Oh, sure. They, They had they had their moment. I enjoyed it but now uh, we're winding up we're we're not going to win in the senate i know well probably not 1222 the time talk radio 790 kabc royal oaks and connor oaks your hosts in for dr drew and leanne tweeden that will be right back from rodeo drive to fashion island get it right a m 790 kabc 26 the time talk radio 790k abc royal oaks and connor oaks your hosts today in for dr drew and leanne tweeden our number 1-800-222-kbc if you'd like to uh unload your opinions on us let's go to bill in culver city you're on the air hey bill uh, hey guys just a happy holidays then let me begin wishing you all and your family happy holidays thank, thank you. you same to you bill thank you and, and to, uh, to uh, someone who I think is really highly respected, a, a lawyer like yourself, Royal, I hope you uh, consider this a good question. Does the president or any sitting president have uh, greater access uh, to the Supreme Court uh, to perhaps um, hear arguments or could his attorney, uh, and if this did not work out in his favor, uh, does this allow as a further remedy to go to the Supreme Court as part of the a tradition of um, their, um, this uh, legal process is can 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 this actually go to the Supreme Court or is not a, is that not part of his remedy? Now, when you say this, are you talking about nuts and bolts about the Senate impeachment trial? Well, yes. Well, I would say the conclusion. My my part was that if it does not um, pan out the way the president wants, or if the decision is very 
not to his standing. Oh, yeah, no, no, I don't think there's any appeal. It's not like you can go to the Hague or the Supreme Court. If the Senate votes to kick him out by the two-thirds vote, he's out. If they don't, then there's no remedy for the folks who are unhappy to go to the Supreme Court. The Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Bill William Roberts, uh, is going to be presiding over the Senate trial, but it's kind of ceremonial. He can't actually technically even make evidentiary rulings because everything he does and says is subject to the Senate overruling him. Uh, what do you think, Connor? Any any chance uh, the uh, Chief Justice uh, might have a, a big influence? Here? Well, actually, not directly, because impeachment is a political process and not a legal process. It explicitly only involves the legislative branch. The House impeaches and the Senate convicts and, and uh, removes the executive. There is no involvement uh, from the, the uh, judicial branch, uh, any court, all the way up to the Supreme Court in that process. But uh, you do raise a very interesting point because there have been some people talking about how there could be uh, judicial uh, involvement in the determination of uh, the uh, interesting uh, White House position that the White House may intend to take about uh, whether yeah, I, Trump was impeached. Yeah, sure. Go ahead, can Bill. I, yeah. Uh, the, the doctrine of the fruits of the poisonous tree, and you can explain that, if any of this was uh, seized erroneously, odorously, or even improperly, the rest of it is completely tossed out, meaning, in short, that given the, the manner in which they're fishing for evidence, it's certainly not going to be admissible. Yeah, well, that, that's a possibility, but I don't really see it as happening, Bill, because I don't think the, uh, the chief justice is going to micromanage. Uh, but you think, Connor, that the, the chief might actually get involved in terms of the technical business of whether there has been an impeachment and whether there's a right of the House it's to, possible. to micromanage it, the Senate rules? It's possible. Uh, the, the, the Twitter lawyers have been going back and forth about <laughs> this on both sides for a couple of days now since Trump floated the idea, Trump's aides floated the idea that, well, Trump wasn't really impeached because we uh, only have, have an impeachment in the Senate, but the, the, they weren't transmitted to the Senate, and therefore uh, there wasn't an actual impeachment. If the president wanted to go to the courts and say, I've been deprived of something, a constitutional right, a, a right of due process or something, and wanted to file a lawsuit, it's possible courts could get involved. I think he would just say, they haven't been nice to me. That, that's the <laughs> expression would. we hear most from the president. 1230 The Time, Talk Radio 790, KABC, Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. In for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweeden. When we come back, we're going to be joined by an expert on the Ed Buck controversy. You don't want to miss it. Stick with us. Twelve thirty-five. The time. Talk radio. Seven ninety K. ABC. Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. In for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweeden. We're going to get to the Ed Buck story in just a second, but Connor, does this strike you as a little odd? The stock market is just going gangbusters. I remember years ago they used to say, "Oh, the stock market hates uncertainty." You know, mm-hmm. some sort of crisis, international thing that yeah. go into the dumper and everybody lose their four hundred one k's. We just impeached the freaking president. Okay, we have no idea when the Senate trial will happen. What what kind of t- and the stock market just keeps zooming up like, oh, we don't care. Yeah. Isn't this the definition of uncertainty when you're well, tottering not, not on the really. brink? I think we're actually not really tottering on the brink. Oh, because we're, everybody assumes the right. Trumpster will win in the Senate, so who cares? The, the only uncertainty was whether he would actually be impeached or not. There and, was no uncertainty And then there. eventually he was The impeached. Democrats could not resist the temptation. Sure. But they, for a while, there was uncertainty. Once the wheels started turning, the process Before was going. Before the Ukraine manna exactly, from heaven didn't exactly. drop into Nancy's <laughs> right. lap. And she had to pull the trigger, and then there's no uncertainty. And you're right. And the markets march onward. And I think you're right that 
that means that uncertainty would really have been the key. Here we have a process that most Americans are just sort of entrenched on and nobody's really unsure about how the outcome is going to go. So why not have the markets keep going up? In the Trump era, nobody's unsure about anything. (laughs) So uh, the Ed Buck story is uh, certainly uh, captured the attention of Angelinos and uh, other folks uh, around the the world, really. It's just so bizarre uh, to help us sort this out. We're delighted to welcome Jasmine Kanick. She is a journalist and a political commentator. Jasmine, welcome to KBC. How are you? Hi, Royal. Hi, Connor. Hi. So, Jasmine, this is just such a bizarre story. I mean, this Ed Buck guy, and of course the Democrats are taking a lot of heat. He, he gave like three hundred, what forty thousand dollars to Democrats. Over half a million over dollars. Over half a million. Over and, half a million dollars, and they should be taking heat. And Liz Warren, <laughs> you know, puts uh, puts his uh, says, "I'm so proud to receive these uh, donations." Turns out some of it's from from Buck. So, uh, you know, this 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 young. Uh, Man uh, winds up dead in 2017. Gamel Moore, 26-year-old homeless male prostitute, fatal meth overdose in Buck's okay, house. So, so he, yeah, go first on. of all, he, he wasn't um, homeless, and, he, in, and we don't use the word prostitute. We say sex worker. We say, <laughs> we say sex and worker. I have to say that. You're trying because... to get the bandwagon ready because I, have, I, have <laughs> I don't want to disappoint you, but many people still use the word prostitute. Some That's people fine. say hooker. But so I, I, I appreciate the updated term. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> and his name is Jamel, not Gamal. Okay, got yeah. it. So Jamel that's 2017. Yeah. Then January 2019, a second man, Timothy Dean, I'm not even going to go there and try to characterize him because I'll take a lot of heat, but he died in the home of a meth overdose. And then the third man, a 37-year-old non-fatal overdose at Buck's house in September. Finally, the guy's been arrested on charges of battery. So tell us what's going on and why are people a little unhappy about how this uh, timeline has developed? Well, people are unhappy because when our district attorney, Jackie Lacey, had the opportunity to file charges against Ed Buck and the death of Jamal Moore, she did not do that. And I remember saying at that time in 2018, it was the day before the one-year anniversary when DAs like to come back with their decisions and controversial cases, you know, right before that one-year mark, that it wasn't a matter of um, if another person died at Ed Buck's house, it was when. And that happened almost six months later to the day when earlier this year, it actually be a year, January 7, 2020, but January 7, 2019, 55-year-old Timothy Dean passed away. And so throughout that time, in between the time of Jamel's death and the time of Timothy's death, there were numerous young men who had came forward with their pictures and videos and text messages and airline receipts and uh, oh, my favorites were the receipts where Ed Buck paid them using like Zelly <laughs> and, uh, you know, these other electronic payment forms. And the DA's office didn't do anything. And so, so what's the, her excuse? Of- what does Lacey say when people confront her with this? <laughs> well, you know, she hides a lot, so uh, she doesn't get confronted too often. And um, at the last time she was confronted about it, which was uh, in November, she blamed it on the sheriff's. A deputy saying that they basically tainted the evidence. Um, there was an issue with the, um, what do you call it, the custody of the evidence, um, which is why they couldn't bring charges in Jamel Moore's death. Oh, a little, we, a little hiccup in the chain of custody, huh? <laughs> what we do know is that um, when, uh, who, who they're calling Joe Doe, and, and just to be clear for everyone, people keep referring to him as the third man. He's like the 30th man, okay? He's just the third man that the news knows about. When he um, had his incident over there, 
um, the the Department of Justice was already um, closing in on this case. And if you recall, it was like, you know, he gets arrested, he gets charged with these very small charges that don't amount to really anything under state law. It was like something like five years if he had been found guilty. But then that's when the U.S. Attorney's Office stepped in and said, no, we're taking this case. And that's when you saw the charges um, that, um, you know, um, providing uh, methamphetamines um, to someone who died, right? So that's when you saw all of those charges, which, you know, bring 20 years to life, each of those counts. So, um, people are upset because people died, people were harmed, people were hurt who didn't have to be. Um, when Ed Buck, uh, Seymour Amster, sure, that's a name you're probably very familiar with, has been his attorney all this time. Um, but when he w- was arrested um, and brought into custody by the feds, he had a public defender. He had a federal public defender until last week when we found out that he hired Christopher Darden. So here's this man who the authorities, no one can seem to source his money. No one can figure out where he gets the money to buy all these drugs, where he gets the money to pay for, to give to all these young men, where he gets the money to pay for all of these high-priced attorneys, uh, has hired yet another attorney. Um, Seymour Amster is still his attorney on his civil cases and his other business. Um, but on this criminal case now he has chris, now he's got chris darden well you know i you can't yeah. it can't be coming as a surprise jasmine because after all uh this guy's probably got a lot of money and so he can afford to have uh, chris uh, darden i mean are people criticizing chris darden because he, he's representing a, a guilty guy but isn't that what criminal defense lawyers do they represent guilty guys because 90 oh, percent of the time people are guilty right here's the deal Christopher Darden, at least this year, has had a, a, a very horrible year of picking clients, <laughs> picking on clients that the greater public uh, has a lot of disgust for. Prior to Ed Buck, it was um, Eric Holder, right? The guy accused of killing Nipsey Hussle. And, you know, he dropped that case because he couldn't deal with the death threats that he was getting. So my thing is this, as a black man, I don't know how you sleep at night um, defending a man who you know intentionally targeted other black men. Well, of course, you're Um, assuming that uh, he knows that the guy is guilty, and obviously that's the purpose of the trial. Jasmine Canick, thanks for sharing your thoughts on this most controversial story. When we come back, we're going to talk about another controversial one, the smackdown between Eddie Murphy and Bill Cosby. It's 1243 on KBC, Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks in for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweeden. Stick with us. Right. AM 790. KABC. 12.48 the time. Talk Radio 790. KABC. Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks in for Dr. Drew and uh, Leanne Tweeden. Hope you you are having a wonderful holiday season. So we are going to talk about the smackdown between Eddie Murphy walking free, as he should, and Bill Cosby not walking free. He's walking through the exercise yard. As he should. Cosby um, called... uh, called uh, Eddie Murphy a Hollywood slave. So we'll get into that in a second. But first, I have to, to say, Connor, I was taken aback by the degree to which I was chided by our last guest. We're talking about the Ed Buck controversy, and the uh, the lady Jasmine Canick has looked into this deeply. So when I tried to refer to one of the victims of Ed Buck as a uh, homeless uh, prostitute, uh, she had a dual problem with that. She mm-hmm. said, no, we shouldn't call him homeless. I think she prefers probably uh, unhoused. Which I don't get. Well, I, in this specific case, I believe that the the, the individual uh, is not, arguably not 
uh, unhoused. He, he was not homeless uh, at all. Yeah, but I think she had have. a problem with the word homeless. It probably does. Many people do, and there's nothing uh, wrong with that. It makes a lot of sense. Well, what's what's wrong with the word homeless? Well, I mean, it's pretty descriptive. It, it's you're, you're right, and and it's a good example of how words take on connotation that we then want to shed as we refer to a, a, the group moving forward. So. Maybe the word prostitute has just taken on negative associations in the same way that you might, uh, uh, well, of course, you might understand that there are negative connotations with it, whereas sex worker doesn't have those connotations. Yeah, that was the other problem she had with right. me. I should have called him a sex worker. Correct. So you need to you know, sort of understand the how, how connotation attached to your words so that you can pick a new word that doesn't have that connotation at least yet. How about this? Hooker with a heart of gold. See, Could we agree that that would be a, a better way? Uh, again, to- it, it, inherent in that phrase, uh, though Julia Roberts might have embodied it fantastically. We love in, Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman no matter what we call right, her. But Julia and Richard might be a little bit outdated and the phrase, hooker with a heart of gold, specifically in there ties in the idea that you have this hooker as a negative connotation and heart of gold has to redeem it. Well, these sex workers aren't bad or evil. There's nothing wrong with them. They don't need to be given a heart of gold to redeem that person. Are you saying that Richard Gerbil, uh, Richard Gere mm. is outdated? Yes. Okay, so we Would won't you talk, date him? We won't talk about him or Julie Roberts any longer. But we will talk about Eddie Murphy because, wow, after 35 years, Connor, he comes back and hosts. And as I understand it, he had his his uh, her feelings hurt by David Spade and others who, when they were on Saturday Night Live years ago, decades ago, made uh, remarks about Eddie Murphy, teased him about the fact that his movies weren't doing so great. And he was so angry. I mean, can you imagine? He's an iconic SNL guy 35 years without hosting but he's got the big dolomite movie he's pushing and i guess he figured it's time but he took on uh bill cosby and uh you know it's uh, when we when we come back we're actually going to play the sound of eddie murphy blasting away at bill cosby and uh, we'll get reaction and see whether it was appropriate for bill cosby to call him a hollywood slave 12:51 the time you're on talk radio 790 kabc 1255 The Time Talk Radio, 790K ABC, Royal Oaks, and Connor Oaks in for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweeden. Talking about Eddie Murphy of hosting SNL for the first time after 35 years and a little run-in with uh, Bill Cosby. Uh, let's, uh, Let's listen to the sound of Eddie Murphy on SNL this last Saturday. That means I have 10 kids now. 11 if you count Kevin Hart. I'm just kidding, I love Kevin Hart. I'm just teasing. My kids are actually pretty much my whole life now. And you know what? But if you had told me 30 years ago that I would be this boring, stay-at-home, you know, house dad, and Bill Cosby would be in jail, <laughs> even I would have took that bet. I'll tell you. Who is America's dad now? So this is kind of interesting, Connor. Uh, on the one hand, you say, my gosh, uh, no sympathy for Bill Cosby. I, Obviously, I, I yeah. think he, I agree he's guilty. He should be in prison for years, maybe the rest of his life. But talk about kicking a guy when he's down. But there's a backstory, I guess, because Cosby, of course, was sort of high and mighty and moralizing. Right. It's how he got caught because another comic about five years ago was was going on about Cosby. Hannibal but back Burris. in the day, apparently Cosby had criticized Eddie Murphy for, you know, using uh, work in blue. And so now, I mean, is this appropriate, do you think, for Eddie Murphy to kind of lash out? Uh, and is it appropriate for Cosby, through his publicist, to refer to Murphy as a Hollywood slave? Okay. Obviously, preliminarily, 
uh, anything Cosby's publicist says, uh, we can we can immediately summarily discount and throw straight into the garbage, the trash heap of history, uh, along with the guy uh, personally and his reputation. I mean, we talked earlier about a defense attorney defending a guilty man. That's bad enough. But to be Bill Cosby's publicist, I mean, come on. Uh, it's not even like you're fulfilling an ethical <laughs> obligation. Everybody's got to get their due process, that sort of thing. It's like being Charles Manson's manager. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Come on. What are you doing? All right. But anyway, yes, it's appropriate for Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy he actually said in an interview that uh, he felt uh, unfairly targeted. He felt like Bill Cosby, back when Cosby was on top of the world, was taking unfair shots at him. And uh, it's high and mighty moralizing, as you put it. I mean, this is a guy who portrayed himself as America's dad, right, as, as Eddie said in a clip. And, yeah, a guy who's in that position has a unique ability to uh, kick down at somebody who's working blue and judge them, and especially in uh, not 2019, but 20, 30, 40 years ago, whenever, when comedians took more flack for breaking norms and social boundaries. So, yeah, Eddie probably felt targeted, uh, and justly so. And so now at this point, for him to sort of be on top, uh, back on top, and to take a shot at Cosby, uh, you know what? Cosby's got a couple of shots coming. Um, I don't think we need to feel any sympathy yeah, for that Yeah, I don't guy. feel sympathy for him. I just wonder if, you know... It, if what really is going on is sort of a simmering feud, resentment. So I actually saw just with a few days ago one of Jerry Seinfeld's wonderful shows, uh, one of the episodes of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Mm-hmm. And this one had Eddie Murphy. And Jerry knew this was a, a, an important show, so he had a, a fancy Porsche, not just some rundown 1971 Corvair. Nice. Uh, and in the show... They talked about the fact that Eddie Murphy did not appreciate the moralizing by Bill Cosby years ago. So, you know, to me, you judge Bill Cosby not because you had a feud 30 years ago. You judge him based on the truth, whether there's really evidence that he did rape a bunch of women and drug them and so on. Yeah. So, uh, to me, it smacks a little bit of piling on when a guy who has been, you know, you've had a negative uh, relationship for a long time... uh, takes advantage of it but as you say i you know i guess we're not supposed to listen to bill cosby's publicist because <laughs> you can't trust everything that he said uh, or anything <laughs> that's right i guess hey when we come back after the news we're going to be joined by chris hahn and he has quite a nickname connor he's the aggressive progressive love it so you might get along with him pretty well we're going to talk impeachment here on kbc stick with us red state blue state Battleground State. Does the 2020 election have you in a state of confusion? The 2020 election is coming. Don't get lost in the misinformation. Get clarity. Get insight. Get the 2020 election right. KABC, Los Angeles, Orange County, and KLOS HD2, Los Angeles. Your 2020 election headquarters. Get get, get it. Right. KABC News live and local. It's one o'clock. I'm Liz Warner. Thousands of customers are still without power across Southern California. A rainstorm snapped electrical lines in several locations. Right now, power is out for about 3,000 homes and businesses across L.A. County. Another 300 are without electricity in Orange County. Customers are impacted from both the L.A. Department of Water and Power and Southern California Edison. The Saudi government has sentenced five people to death for the killing of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi last year. Here's correspondent Nick Robertson, who notes there's one long-suspected name missing. The CIA concluded the kingdom's crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, 
ordered the assassination, something the Saudis flatly deny. Monday's verdict, despite a lack of transparency. The doctor is in and taking your calls at 800-222-5222. It's Dr. Drew, live live with Leanne Tweeden. And you can get it right now. One oh five the time talk radio seven ninety K A B C Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks in for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweeden. And just so you'll know where we're coming from, uh, Connor is my son. He is a practicing attorney, uh, a budding legal analyst. But the problem that Connor has is that he's a progressive, whereas I'm a libertarian. That's so a terrible affliction. I've been talking to him for decades, uh, uh, trying to straighten things out. But uh, maybe maybe it'll happen today. I don't know if our guest, uh, Chris Hahn, the aggressive progressive, is going to be able to help me in that regard. Probably not. Uh, I'm guessing probably not. Uh, the number one eight hundred two 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 K A B C. If you'd like to join the conversation, and speaking of joining the conversation, uh, let us welcome uh, Chris Hahn. He is known as the aggressive progressive. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me, Royal. Happy holidays. Well, same to you. And my gosh, uh, Connor, we're in the presence of a celebrity here because Chris is a regular on Fox News. Mm -hmm. Okay, and if you are allowed on Fox News as a progressive, that means you're good. Okay, it's true. Yeah, I, think like I, I think I'm grandfathered in. I've been been going on for ten years now, and uh, I think they just let <laughs> me do what I want. <laughs> so, they, so they think you're a grandfather? Is that and that's their demographic? Or? I'm not quite. I'm not quite a grandfather in my age. I'm getting up there. I'm not as young as I used to be, as they say, but I'm not quite grandfather material at the moment. Well, you're carrying on a legacy, and that gives you sort of grandfather status. You're 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 Alan Combs. I, I'm Alan Combs. I'm really more Bob Beckel. I don't know if you remember Bob. Oh, I love Bob Beckel. I loved his book too. What a what yeah, a ride! I, I, he Bob had. was a good friend of mine and a real mentor to me when I started over at Fox and. Uh, you know, he has a lot of personal problems and still does. And, you know, we always wish him well. He's, he was a good guy to work with. Yeah. And anybody wants to read just a fantastic political memoir, uh, check out uh, Bob Beckel's book about the, the Carter era and before and after. It's really terrific. So Chris Hahn's going to help us sort out this impeachment situation. Um, before we do that, Chris, you have to tell me what's Martha McCallum really like, because you know, I'm a big fan. I love her. I mean, she's she's a great person. She's she's fun to talk to off the air and on the air. And, I, you know, this, this is the thing. People, uh, you know, I'm a progressive, and I run in progressive circles primarily in my social life. But most of the people I, I know at Fox, I really do like. Uh, I've always liked Martha. I even like Laura Ingram, who, you know, who I couldn't disagree with more. I mean, Martha, uh, while I would say she's more center-right, Laura is definitely far-right. Uh, but I, I, I really enjoy Laura. I, I've even gotten along with Sean Hannity over the years. Uh, there are very few people over at Fox that I find uh, hard to be around. Well, let me tell you a quick little story, Chris. I, I was uh, walking through uh, the concrete canyons of Manhattan several years ago when Bill O'Reilly was riding high. Yeah. And I spotted a person who was a consultant uh, who was on Fox occasionally. And I had seen this guy on O'Reilly the week before. And the interesting thing about the spot was that at one point when they had the camera on the guy, not O'Reilly, and O'Reilly was sort of attacking him, the guy pushed his glasses up on his nose with his... Oh, no, I would never do anything like that to Mr. O'Reilly. Wink, and wink, then, double wink. then he kept walking. So I don't know what kind of relationship you have with the folks, but I think he was a little well, intimidated. Well, I will tell you this about Bill O'Reilly. On the air, I always enjoyed sparring with Bill O'Reilly. Off the air... 
he was kind of difficult to be around. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'll be I'll be clear about that. He was not the most gracious host. I would say the know, candid sure. moments we caught of Bill yeah. O'Reilly uh, when yeah. he didn't know he was being uh, filmed uh, might uh, bear that yeah. out. Yeah, you always got that thing from his, you know, I'll do it live. Yes, right. there was that. <laughs> the classic. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and, classic. If, and if any of our listeners don't know what Chris is referring to, just, just Google it. Just Google it. Go on YouTube and put in Bill O'Reilly, do it live, Inside Edition, and if you're in a bad mood, you are suddenly going to be in a wonderful mood. It, it it was always like, you know, the only time I ever felt like I was going to work when I was at Fox, when I'm at Fox, is when I was doing Bill O'Reilly's show because he <laughs> he just he was not nice. You know, he was a cheerleader. <laughs> I remember years ago I was on with another person. The two of us were in a studio in L.A. And in the commercial, in our ear, suddenly here's Bill O'Reilly, and he is a cheerleader. He's telling us how important it is to be up, to be energetic. And yeah. I thought, wow, this, I guess that's a, one of the secrets to, to his success, because he really wanted to make every single segment, blam, you know, hit well, it out of the Well, he was good park. on the air, and he was good to debate with, you know, like sure. he was always prepared, and, and he didn't cut you off. And, uh, you know, he, I liked doing his show. I just, it, it was, it, it always felt like it was tense before the show started. Yeah. And he, you know, I almost always did his show when I, when I did his show with him, I was almost always with him and I was almost always the first guest. So I'd be sitting there in the chair, he'd do his talking points memo and I'm sitting there silently while he does it. <laughs> And, it, you know, you could just see the tension in his staff. Yeah, it was, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want to speak bad of him. I mean, look, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, people know enough, I think, by now of him uh, that it's all out there. But he was a, a difficult guy to be around. So, Chris, thanks for coming on. I, I'd love to hear what you had to say about a topic my dad and I were discussing earlier. We were talking about whether it's unfair for Pelosi to be holding up the impeachment process. She's sort of holding on to the reins, even though maybe she should have been passing those reins over to the Senate already. That's funny, Connor. I thought you were going to talk about how we disagreed over whether to call prostitutes sex workers or prostitutes. You know what? Uh, there are big big problems and small problems. Yeah, and right. now so we've got a national Let's issue. go with, with, with Connor's question. What do you think, Chris? I'm I'm big on, you know, they could call themselves whatever they want. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's the way I feel about that. Whatever they want to call themselves. Um, you know, here's what I think. I think Nancy Pelosi's really good politics. Mm-hmm. And I'm not exactly sure what her plan is. I've been speculating. I speculated on my show and on my podcast. You know, perhaps she's waiting for a time where it could really stick it to the president. I mean, she put out there the February 4th State of the Union. Wouldn't it be fun if uh, at the State of the Union, she delivers those papers to the majority leader. That would be theatrical. Right it would. The it would. I mean, wouldn't that be a huge story and really take the spark out of the State of the Union? Nancy Pelosi is better at politics than almost anyone I know. Mitch McConnell is actually very good at institutional politics, mm. at Senate, like gumming up the works and doing using the rules of the Senate to get things done. But as, a, as an actual political strategist, he hasn't been shown to be that good. Nancy Pelosi, though, on the other hand... Well, wait a minute. The incredible success uh, on the Supreme Court front. Don't you have true. to hand well, that yeah, well, to that's McConnell? Institutional, that's institutional politics. Mitch McConnell 
was able to hold gum up the works so that he could get all these judges, not just right. the Supreme Court judges, but, you know, 50 or so Tons. district and circuit court yeah. judges. He gummed it up during Obama, and now he's reaping the benefits of that. That's institutional politics, and he's a master of that. Meanwhile, you did describe, yes, Pelosi being uh, an excellent uh, political maneuver as well. And you said the State of the Union, she could deliver the articles. Yeah, well, she stole the show at the last State of the Union yeah. just by clapping and using a, a tactical facial expression. It became a, an internet Meme. Yeah, they underestimate her at their peril. Absolutely. And, and, you know, Billy Joel, I'm a Long Islander. Billy Joel has a song. She's so good with her stiletto, you don't even mind the pain. Well, get ready, Mr. President. <laughs> There's going to be a woman standing behind you with a stiletto, and you are going to feel it. She certainly is a good political operator. I, I feel that it's it's entirely appropriate for her to hold on to uh, the decision about uh, the managers that she wants to assign, the, the Democrats from the House to send over to act as prosecutors uh, in the Senate trial, until we get more details from McConnell, because McConnell is doing his normal, as you put it, obstructionist, gun up, gum yeah. up the works thing. There's no way to fight that other than to demand he actually take action, make decisions, and actually lay down what the rules will be. Because until then, we can't know that the Senate trial will be anything other than the sham we all are fearing. Well, you know, there are rules be. right now in place for impeachment that have been in place since the 80s, actually, and they, they were waived during the Clinton impeachment. But those rules exist. And those rules do allow for witnesses to be called. Now, the chief justice of the Supreme Court would determine whether or not those witnesses were relevant. And the members of the Senate can then vote by a simple majority to overrule the chief justice should they think otherwise. But it could put them in an awkward situation when you have situations like today. You know, yesterday there were emails released that show that the OMB was ordered by a political hack to hold the funding 90 minutes after the Ukraine call. So how right. are we not going to want to hear from the person who wrote that email now that we have this new information that came forward? Republicans are overplaying their hand. They think that impeachment is good for this president. I, I beg to differ. I mean, this president won by getting an inside straight. He needs every single vote he can get. A, a defection of one or two percent of his support is the end of him. Yeah, I, so, I, I got to disagree with you on there, that, Chris. I cannot believe that the Republicans and Trump himself actually think that impeachment is good for Trump no, or the Republicans. Think, they're lying they, through their teeth. They, and you should. Actually, I mean, I, yeah. This they're, is they're, like, this is textbook. You never take advice from your enemy. And there's no greater example than when the Republicans are saying, hey, I'm just speaking, you know, truly and honestly from the heart here, folks. Do not yeah. impeach me or you'll suffer the, the same consequences that the Republicans suffered when they unsuccessfully attempted to remove Clinton from office for lying about sex. Oh, it, it'll come back to bite you in the butt. Whatever you do, don't right, uh, enact right. my worst nightmare right, impeachment. Right. Right, right. And by the way, it, Bill Clinton was impeached after the midterm elections, not before them. True. They were talking about impeachment, and then they impeached him during a lame duck session of Congress with a smaller majority than impeached this president last week. So, And then in the 2000 election that followed it, the Democrats lost seats in the House and the president – was not, you know, the president's vice president did not get real, did not get elected, even though we had a booming economy at the time. Royal, we're I like this guy. We're talking with Chris Hahn, the aggressive progressive, and uh, you got to check out his podcast as well. So, Chris, um, the oracle is Peggy Noonan, as we know, and every Saturday mm. we all look forward to her fabulous column in the Wall Street Journal. I want to yes. hit you with a couple of thoughts she had this last Saturday and, and, and get your reaction. She points out that a Quinnipiac poll shows support for Trump's impeachment has actually gone down since October to 45%. She points out, well, you know, in the last week or so, jobs numbers came out. 
uh, the share of the population who think Republicans handle the economy better than the Democrats has gone up seven points from 42 to 49 percent. She points out that the Democrats are flirting with nominating people who would uh, rule in favor of sharply higher taxes, banning private health insurance, the Green New Deal, free college, free health insurance for all illegal aliens, and yeah. open borders. So the question Getting is... Getting excited over here. Slow wouldn't down. Wouldn't the smart move by the Democrats be... We're not sure if this is going to end well on impeachment. Maybe maybe it will. Maybe we'll, we'll get some good publicity and so on. But since, since the absolute sine qua non, the thing we have to do is to beat Trump, wouldn't the smart move to be to just kind of get through the impeachment quickly, get Joe Biden or somebody like that, Amy, uh, as the nominee and not flirt with danger? There's always danger in politics. That's why you and I make a living. Well, there's, Carlo, there's Carlos danger, but you know, my wife, my wife begged me to read that column over the weekend, and I didn't because I'm like, I don't want to hear what. <laughs> oh, good! I, I gave you the highlights. Says. Yeah. So, but it is, it is, it's a look. Is there danger? Absolutely. Uh, is there more danger for Trump? Yes. If you look at the NBC News Wall Street Journal poll that came out that she's referring to, the number that she should be that Trump should be most concerned about is 48 percent of Americans say they absolutely will not vote for Donald Trump for president, while only 34 percent of Americans say they absolutely will. That's a big number. Forty eight percent. That means if the Democrats can convince four percent more Americans right. not to vote for Trump, they're going to win. Because I think they need 52 percent given the benefits that the Republicans have with the Electoral College. I think a lot of what I, they got to do. wants to point out all this other stuff. Uh, you know, it, it could be Warren. It could be Bernie. I think it's more likely to be Biden. Quite frankly, if Biden wins Iowa, he's going to be the nominee. If Biden doesn't win Iowa and the first four states go four ways, watch out. There could be an open convention and a guy like Mike Bloomberg could become the nominee. I mean, and that's a that's I think that's what he's playing for. If you ask me, we're talking about danger. I think the real danger for the Democrats is not that they uh, won't uh, you know elect tr- uh, that they won't beat Trump because they put up somebody too radical. I think the real danger for Democrats is they put up some milk toast middle of the road, boring yeah. nobody. I don't know, maybe Biden, maybe Mayor Pete. And people aren't excited. They don't come out to the polls because that's what politics in 2019 and frankly for a long time have really been about it's about exciting your base and trump excites his base that's for sure he oh, will trump, get trump his voters a out master at that he's a master exciter of his base the people wearing um, maga hats aren't going to forget about voting on in november well, in 2020 it's just not going to happen but well, you might get well, people out there who say wow i don't like mayor pete's he's too centrist on this i don't like biden because i i listen to the propaganda about uh, how he's not a good guy blah 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 you might yep. meet you might you need somebody who's charismatic who's electric you need a barack obama you need a, a bill clinton you don't need a dan quayle you don't need somebody out there who's boring and milk toast in the middle of the road and who will lose 48 states well, because they're excitement all, they're all wins boring and milk toast you know that are still in this race you know i mean unless you take count cory booker or, or somebody like that uh but i don't think for I, you know the 14 percent uh, decline in African-American turnout in Wisconsin and Michigan in 2016. I don't think that's going to happen in 2020 when you have a president that said there were good people, uh, you know, war, you know, at a on both rally. sides. Yeah. Of a so, rally. You know, I mean, give me a break. I mean, if I'm, if I'm an African-American, there are things going on in this country that are more important than the primaries right now. I, I quite frankly think, uh, you know, that the efforts uh, being done to uh, secure the elections around the country are are probably as important uh, and organizing on that regard 
are probably as important as what's going on uh, in the uh, in the uh, primaries. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw Trump's uh, we saw Trump in a speech say, oh, yeah, voter suppression has classically been a Republican tactic and we've been really good at it. And he it didn't is. know people were listening. And, and, and Tracy Edwards is raised. Uh, not Tracy Edwards. Uh, Tra- yeah. Tracy Edwards is raising all this money around. Tracy Abrams is raising all this money around the country. I thought you meant Tracy and- Morgan. Yeah, no, Tracy, Tracy Morgan was good on SNL. Uh, Tracy Abrams is run around the country. She's organizing in these key battleground states uh, with people who are going to protect the votes. So Republicans are out there trying to make it harder for people to vote. She's fighting that. And, and when they do are successful in changing the rules, she's making sure there are people in place to register people. That is an important effort that, that, could, be, that could mean victory or defeat for Democrats in 2020. All right, Chris Hahn, the aggressive progressive, although I can't say I know too many passive progressives, <laughs> but you're yeah. the aggressive progressive, and uh, we enjoyed chatting about this stuff with you. You have a great holiday season and a wonderful New Year's. You, you too. Thanks for having me. All right, take care. 121 The Time on Talk Radio 790 KABC Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks in for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweeten. Stick with us. Get it right. AM ABC. 126 The Time, Talk Radio 790K, ABC, Royal Oaks, and Connor Oaks. In for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweeden, talking about impeachment. 1-800-222-KABC is the number if you'd like to join the conversation. Let's go out to Diamond Bar. That's where Rick's hanging out. Rick, you're on KBC. Welcome. Hey, uh, gentlemen, sounds good. I'm not normally a fan of nepotism. But I think it works here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'll take it. Good. Um, so my question is, regarding the impeachment is if there are fact witnesses that can verify um, uh, facts that will exonerate you, why won't you let them testify? Yeah, it's, and, a, it's and, a good question, Rick. Uh, it's a weird situation. The Senate trial, as we know from the, the Clinton precedent, there are only two precedents, Andrew Johnson and Clinton. Uh, the Democrats and the Republicans got together back in the Clinton era, and they decided, no, we're not going to have Monica Lewinsky walk into the Senate chamber and, and wave her dress around. Instead, they are going to play videotape testimony of some, some previous depositions and so on. Uh, and they didn't actually have any live witnesses. But the bottom line, Rick, is, as you know... Uh, the, the Senate majority gets to uh, decide the rules. They make rules as to whether there are going to be any witnesses. Uh, now, your point is, well, let's, you know, if he's innocent, why doesn't he testify under oath? You know, uh, yep. it's not like he's going to take the Fifth Amendment. But I think it's really, it's so political as opposed to legal. It's all about the people whispering into Trump's ear. Some of them say, yeah, right. you got to defend yourself. Others say, are you kidding? Do you have any idea oh, how this could go off the rails? Oh, right. No, I absolutely agree. I mean, I, I, I would love to see Trump try to st- sit in front of uh, the world and actually testify uh, under oath about these, uh, these events and how they went down. It's not like he doesn't just come out and run his mouth and say everything that's on his mind on TV every day anyway. So it's not like we aren't getting his testimony effectively. But you have to imagine that he's got a bunch of really smart lawyers on his side of things. Uh, I've never seen one, uh, but I'm sure they're they're uh, really, really smart. Um, and they're telling him, what are you doing? Of course not. Don't go out there and incriminate yourself by offering more testimony. So even even if yeah. he were hypothetically somehow innocent of all the crimes he has uh, admitted to and Mick Mulvaney admitted to on camera, even if he had didn't do any of those, uh, there, uh, he should never come out and, and testify on his own behalf because test- 
testifying on your own behalf is a very risky thing. It's got to be carefully controlled. And you, if your defense lawyer is uh, is sort of protecting you and guiding you through the process ahead of time, and then you do your direct examination, and then there's got to be cross examination for the other side. That's where the really you know the damaging stuff comes out, and that's really risky to open yourself up that way. So uh, if I were Trump's lawyer, God forbid, I would never tell him to testify. He'd be the worst imaginable witness to try to coach through being ready. For uh, testimony uh, in deposition or in a trial or otherwise. So, yeah. Of course, the question you ask, Rick, if, if he's innocent, why doesn't he testify under oath? You could say that about every criminal defendant who chooses not to testify. And, of course, in the high-profile right. cases like O.J. and so on, virtually all of them, they clam up. They take the fifth. They just refuse to testify. But you kind of right. consider that to be a couple of strikes against Trump? I do. Well, also, too, uh, you guys, you know, I, I think at least one of you have have been in a you worked as a trial lawyer right yes so when you when you have somebody saying um you know the uh the, the judge is working directly with the prosecution and taking its cues from it yep that would probably be a, a dismissal that you would push if you were a defense attorney right that's true we definitely ask for a mistrial if uh if mitch mcconnell was both the judge and the jury in my murder case i would say uh, excuse me i'd like to yeah. i'd like to move for a mistrial and immediately appeal that motion after it gets denied and of uh, course <laughs> and thank you rick of course uh, the republicans have the power as a majority to pass uh, approve a motion to dismiss but i think it would not look good no it would look very bad. i think we're actually going to see a full-blown trial time is 130 here on talk radio 790 kabc royal oaks and connor oaks in for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweeden. If you'd like to join the conversation, 1-800-222-KABC. Time for news headlines. From the Hollywood Bowl to the Honda Center. Get it right. A-M-7-9-A-K-A-B-C. 135 The Time, Talk Radio, 790-K-A-B-C, Royal Oaks, and Connor Oaks, in for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweedy. Talking impeachment here. Should there be a full trial? Mini trial? And either way, is it going to change anybody's minds? And what about looking ahead to uh, the big fight in the summer? Should the Democrats roll the dice and nominate a progressive? Or how how are they going to feel, you know, the morning after uh, November election when they lost a squeaker to Donald Trump and they had a really, really progressive candidate? Aren't we going to see mass suicides? Uh, What do you think? 1-800-222-KBC, 1-800-5222-5222. Well, I I think that they're going to feel a lot like they felt after putting Hillary Clinton up and uh, losing with what uh, who a lot of people would say is the establishment candidate, the the centrist, uh, the middle of the road of the options. They didn't pick Bernie before in 2016 than with Hillary. That's true. That's true. And Trump destroyed the safe choice he uh, a, a route an upset uh, crushed in states yeah. that he should never have done well and now in. now you're, you're tantalizing me because i know hillary <laughs> is waiting to to throw her pantsuit into the ring oh we, it's coming we may get her back let's she's go, running folks let's go to mike in ventura mike you're on kbc welcome yeah I, a few weeks back andrew mccarthy uh made an interesting point that you know there is historical precedent beyond just the presidential impeachments that there have been judges and other officials that have been brought before the Senate to be impeached. And the, sem- the Senate uh, clearly just said, thank you very much for your efforts uh, and passed. I- I'm not sure why that's not a legitimate or a, a serious discussion item 
in this case. Well, I think it is legitimate in the sense that the Senate has the right to have a, a trial of any kind that it wants. It can it re- closely resemble a regular court trial, or it can be nothing like a court trial. This is a combined legal and political proceeding. It, the problem is if the Republicans go so minimalist that everybody looks at it and says, oh, this is, they're railroading the Democrats, it's just not fair. Now, when you say, you mentioned the judges, uh, Mike, I'm not, are you sure? I mean, I, I don't think every single judicial impeachment proceeding in American history has just been, you know, bam, bam, in and out quickly. I, I would imagine. That... No, 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 no. You misinterpreted. I okay. think that they've they've elected after they received the recommendation from from the House. They they chose to say thank you and move on. So I'm curious. Like I said, it, it, there's I, McCarthy's point was that there is no requirement that they have to do anything with it. That right, they that's true. Simply say thank thank you for thank you for your time and service. We're moving on. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and you're also absolutely right to point out that uh, the same process does apply uh, under Article 1 of the Constitution. Uh, the House has uh, the responsibility to handle impeachment, and the Senate has the responsibility to handle uh, conviction of federal judges in the same exact way that they have those responsibilities with, with respect to the president. So it makes total sense that you would look to precedent uh, in that sphere while still acknowledging that those things might be different. I mean, a federal judge being impeached is is an order of magnitude different than a president, given just how many judges there are, how many times it's happened in history, and how important it is to the country uh, at large and to the balance of the of power in politics generally. I mean, we're talking well, about well, not... well, 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 well. Let's let's take that for a moment. Mm-hmm. If you if you have a judge that's politically unpopular, uh, for example, Gorsuch, um, you know, there was a, that was a huge there was a huge contention sub, uh, about all that. That you could you could argue that a judge is far more damaging to one side or the other, depending on how long he gets to to serve as a Supreme Court justice. Yeah, this is true. I mean, the Supreme Court justices, given given that they effectively or can, as as far as they want to, uh, serve for uh, for life, uh, can have a, a longer reaching uh, impact than just a president who's wham bam in and out in four uh, years. I mean, uh, well, uh, four years for some presidents. I don't know, like Trump maybe, but uh, eight years for others. And adding to the significance of the judicial appointments that we've seen the stats recently i mean trump is just off the charts the number of people he has replaced on the circuit court of appeals uh on uh, the trial court in the federal level as well as obviously two big wins at the u.s supreme court and these folks are going to be on for literally decades yeah so let's, it's let's, really consequential let's give credit where credit's due trump doesn't get credit for any of that mitch mcconnell gets credit for all hunter is a team effort uh, i would say it's a team effort in the same way that uh a, a a sock puppet uh, with a hand in it, and the hand oh both share you know, oh my goodness. equal That's responsibility. Awfully. That's awfully harsh. What do you want the Supreme? You want the Secret Service to pay a visit to you? So, yeah, Mike, I, I think we're we're going to have to wait and see. Don't you think it'd be a ratings buster if Trump actually did testify live on television from the United oh, States boy. Senate? I'd watch. Well, yeah. Every attorney that every attorney would tell you you never if you don't have to you never put your client on the stand. Yeah, I think it's very unlikely you do it. Only if he just uh, decided you know it's it's my defense, it's my ego. I'm I'm going to. I it. mean, the guy can't keep himself off of Twitter. He might as well be testifying all the time. It's entirely possible in my mind that he would pull the trigger and say, "Darn it, I'm going out there and I'm telling the American people because he just loves to hear the sound of his own voice and he thinks he can convince anyone of anything." Loves to hear the sound of his own voice uh, coming from two people here who are on the radio, <laughs> on the radio. hoping lots of people it's listen true. to it's us. True. Hey, Mike, thank you for the uh, thoughts. Let's move to uh, Pete in San Clemente. You're on KBC. Welcome, Pete. Yeah, hi. Um, I just wanted to make a remark to the, the 
point where you guys are saying, oh, Trump's not going to win or or people aren't going to show up to vote for him. The Democrats succeeded at one thing, and that was to make sure that the Republicans do go out and vote for Trump again. He has done great for our economy. And the Democrats, they don't have anybody, not one person out there in that whole field of crazies that are pandering to illegals, pandering to everybody for free this, free that, free everything, and higher taxes. Only a, I mean, only a crazy person would vote Democrat anymore. Well, you know, Pete, you raise an interesting point. I mean, Connor uh, and our aggressive progressive Chris Hahn a few minutes ago were talking about how, you know, 48 percent of the public say absolutely they'll never vote for Trump and only 34 percent would be inclined to vote for him. To me, I see that and I say the Democrats, it is theirs to lose. It's an automatic win if they put up somebody in the middle like an Amy Klobuchar or even Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden. The gamble comes when you put up somebody toward the fringe. And as you say, Pete, I mean, with so many very controversial points on all the Democrats, they raise their hands and say, basically, we want open borders. We want free health care for illegals. Emphasizing those issues, is, I think, is the only way can Trump the Trump can lose, and yet that's what some people who are true believers on the le- left are insisting. I on. think this comes down to a fundamental disagreement about how elections work and how the American population distributes itself politically. I do not think there is this great undecided middle twenty percent uh, that swings back and forth from election to election. Elections are about excitement of the base; they're about turnout. It's about how you get your people fired up and say, you know, I got Barack Obama. We got hope. We got change. We got we got the future in hand. And you could be part of history if you just vote for the first black president. And darn it, they came out in droves. Everybody both, wanted to vote for both Obama. Both sides have hardcore true believers. Right. Who and are it's about how many of them you who get are out. energized to a, a great degree or a less degree. But when you say the 20 percent in the middle don't decide it, I mean, how can that not be the case? You have a third of the nation who basically they don't identify strongly with one side or the other. And whether or not, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 percent of each base is really energized, I think the decision is always made by the people in the middle, especially in this day and age. I mean, the old days when a Republican like Nixon could beat McGovern 49 states to one, nobody's going to win 49 states. No, The, the winner is Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Florida and Ohio, whoever can convince the working class, currently populist-oriented people to tug them over to their side, they think that's who's going to win. And if you have somebody who is just out of the mainstream, you really think those populists, those workers, those union guys in Michigan and Pennsylvania are going to go for Elizabeth Warren and 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 Bernie Sanders? There are real concerns, absolutely, that somebody like Elizabeth Warren or anybody who's saying the words Medicare for all would be uh, threatening right. uh, the union uh, workers who have very, very good health care uh, already in hand. And that is a challenge to their, uh, to their personal interests in their mind. I don't think it is, but they will think it is. And so you're right. There is fear there. Well, we'll know in November. One forty-four of the time. Talk radio seven ninety KABC Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks in for Doctor Drew and Leanne Tweeden. Stick with us. One forty-eight the time. Talk radio seven ninety KABC Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks in for Doctor Drew and Leanne Tweeden. Hope you're having a fabulous holiday season. Probably not a whole lot of work getting done uh, the last couple of weeks of the year. The traffic was totally empty. I mean, I couldn't believe zipping along. I mean, the productivity in Los Angeles County is just going into the toilet 
this time of year. It's a tragedy, darn it. People are at home with their families, and they're experiencing love and acceptance. It's awful. I hate it. I just don't get it. So Fox News is reporting something interesting. Uh, Connor, um, President Obama, is encouraging wealthy donors to support, wait for it, Elizabeth Warren. What a betrayal. Stab Talk about back. a betrayal. Exactly. He oh, met man. every Wednesday for eight years well, having lunch with, with Uncle, Uncle Joe. Joe. And wasn't it uh, Obama who said a week or so ago, you know, old men, it's time for old men to step aside. Sure. And I'm, I was thinking at the time, kind of a slam on his. It's one thing to stay neutral. Right. Uh, well, it was one thing to not endorse your own vice president. Right. Okay. So he takes that step. He doesn't endorse. Right. Secondly, you can be neutral. But third now, for him to say, you know, no country for old men, right. old men should step aside, that's kind of a slam on Bernie and Joe. Yes. Now, Liz isn't exactly a spring chicken. No. I think she's 70 or 71 or so. But is this surprising to I you mean, that Obama to would be a Bernie. secret Liz supporter? No, not at all. I, th- I think uh, Obama is, uh, uh, in many ways, a centrist, in many ways, very pragmatic and i think his attitude is actually not that biden is the the best choice i think that he thinks warren has the best chance to beat trump and in addition to that in addition to probably yeah, that's not what the public opinion polls that's say. true i think the survey suggests that the more moderate democrats would have the easier time beating trump you know the polls said that ben carson was gonna beat trump in right. iowa and they said thomas dewey was gonna beat harry truman in right. 1948 right so what do they know well polls can be wrong but polls are really giving you percentage chances you know how many universes does this happen in and that's you know parallel worlds right saying liz warren is an alien yes liz warren is an alien from another dimension uh listeners please take that uh and uh put my name after that quote um no it this is from the planet equalitas right (laughs) uh i i think i think that uh uh uh, Obama's coming at this from both angles. I think in his heart of hearts, he wants uh, a, a progressive. He, I think he wants somebody who will sort of uh, take the jumping off point and say America has turned around. They they saw what, uh, what, what America was like with Trump, and they're going to go back towards Obama and the progressive uh, agenda. And so he wants somebody with a stronger progressive stance, like Elizabeth Warren, sort of taking up his mantle as, as the next. And he also thinks that she has the best chance. And I think that that's not a, a bad uh, or unwise position to take. I think America's in 2019 is ready, finally, for a woman president, even though they weren't in 2016. We talked a few minutes ago about how important it is to energize the base. I wonder if another strike against the Democrats is, you want to talk about energizing the base, the Republicans they have circled the wagons. Our guy has been impeached. The numbers, it's like 36 million in the last few days, are off the charts. I wonder if that is the real energization you're going to see as opposed to the Democrats. I mean, the Democrats, it's going to be sort of a letdown. Okay, we were psyched for impeachment. We were really unhappy. We thought Mueller had torpedoed us with his, you know, wishy-washy report. But then, manna from heaven, Ukraine dropped into our lap in August. And now they said, doggone it, we have to go forward. Nancy didn't want to do it until Ukraine showed up. I mean, after the Democrats lose in the Senate trial, aren't they going to be kind of deflated? And meanwhile, the Republicans are going to be roaring toward November? I think that actually, no, I don't think it's going to go strongly either way. I don't think that the Senate trial is going to result in a a dramatic defeat for the Democrats where they looked like they were going to win something and then it was snatched from their grasp. I think it's because everyone knows that the the Republicans control the Senate. Everyone knows that Trump was really never going to be removed by a Republican, uh, a group of Republican senators uh, who have, you know, pledged their allegiance to uh, their leader and have not backing down in any way. 
I think because everyone knew that outcome was going to happen, it's not going to be that deflating when it does happen. And it will instead just be a good talking point for the Democrats for the rest of the election. It's 153. Talk Radio 790 KABC is where you're at. Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks in for Dr. Drew and Leanne. When we come back, the stupidest criminal in the history of the world. Stick with us. 157 The Time, Talk Radio, 790 KABC, Royal Oaks, and Connor Oaks, in for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweeden. So, I uh, I told you, Connor, we we're going to talk about the world's stupidest criminal. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I've I've seen some pretty dopey crooks in my time. Right. I've you know, been kind of collecting these wacky stories for, for some time. But I think this guy uh, takes uh, the cake. Uh, he's at large, so we don't have his name, but he's a guy who uh, was... Going to the Festival of Lights in downtown Riverside a few days ago. Oh, family-friendly event. Yeah, and there's a guy doing caricatures of people. You know, oh, He sits adorable. there with the easel, and mm-hmm. he's got a little bag there for the money that folks pay. So so the, the crook goes up and says, yeah, please draw a caricature of me. So he sits there, and he waits until the artist completely finishes the caricature, at which point the suspect grabs the artist's money bag and runs away, oh leaving gosh. the portrait behind. <sighs> so the bag had five hundred dollars in cash. So this guy must wow. be good. Must yeah, be a good artist. Either that, or he was that's even worse. Been there for eighteen years, yeah. and that's what he got. Uh, so the cops are really happy that yeah. they've got this caricature, but they do say that it's exaggerated characteristics and features, uh, okay. which is what you'd expect. But imagine, I mean, you're going to sit down with the police sketch artist, and he's going to say, what did you see? And he'll say, give me that pen, idiot. I'm going to handle it yeah. and draw a perfect rendition. No, no. Instead, it just looks like the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> and the artist is going to say, that's it. That's as good as it that's, gets. That's who it is. Really? I was he know. riding in a tiny car? Yes, of course he was. <laughs> the doctor is and taking your calls at 800-222-5222. It's Dr. Drew, Midday Live, with Leanne Tweeden. And you can get it right now. Two oh five the time, Talk Radio is 790-KABC, Royal Oaks, and Connor Oaks, in for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweeden. And if you haven't heard us before, uh, we're kind of different uh, a little bit. Um, I'm a libertarian and I'm a baby boomer. Connor is what some people call progressive. You could. And he's a millennial. Um, I'm the father. He's the son. So we we have a, a mixture of views here. And, uh, you know, we've disagreed a little bit so far in the show, but, you know, in a respectful way. So I think it's worked out. Um, we've... Uh, uh, we've got uh, we've talked about impeachment a lot, mm-hmm. and I think we disagree um, on what the Democrats should be doing. I think if I were the king of the Democrats, I'd anoint Joe Biden, but I think you'd pick somebody a little bit left uh, of him. It's true. Yeah. Well, so we're we're, we're going to see. It'll it'll be fascinating to see what uh, happens in Iowa and New Hampshire because that could tell the tale. Hey, folks, if you would like to go uh, to the Saban Theater, we got some tickets to give away. Uh, you want to see Colin Hay on February 28th. Uh, tickets are on sale now. But if you are caller 3 to 888-790-5222, that's 888-790-5222, you will win a pair of tickets furnished by the Canyon at the Saban, where music meets the soul. So uh, we live in kind of a surveillance society, but it's gotten out of hand, I think, in the sense that uh, 
You're, you're seeing hackers taking over all of our fine uh, surveillance equipment. Uh, somebody who can help us sort this out, however, is a gentleman by the name of Ed Peters, an expert in this field. Ed, welcome to KBC. How are you? Good. How are you doing? We're doing great, thanks. And uh, it's kind of scary. Uh, these uh, ring uh, cameras that you can get through from Amazon, um, doorbell cameras, cameras in your home. Apparently, uh, hacking is uh, is a bit of a problem. Tell us what you know about this. Well, this is a issue that's going to get worse because we have 20 billion connected smart devices right now, uh, ranging from ring doorbells to smart um, smart light bulbs to your cell phone, um, all these things together are points of entry where somebody can get inside of your network, potentially, if you don't take the right precautions. And once they get inside your network and can um, look at your devices, they have the opportunity to start to pull down your profiles and all of your data. So this is, this is a big problem. When you say you say twenty billion devices, I mean, if you figure, what do we have on the planet? About six billion people, and say half of them are so impoverished they really don't have many electronic devices. So you're talking maybe three billion people. That you're talking about like six devices uh, per person. Is that well, what we're looking at? Your house, yeah. Sure. I mean, you think you're ranging from your cell phone to your network to your smart TV, all the way to refrigerators now, dishwashers and uh, washing machines all have software that can, one, tell the company you know, what, if something's going wrong with the machine and what service you might need. But more importantly, it's also gathering data on you and your habits, you know, all the way to your Nest thermostat. All of that works off of, is connected to your Wi-Fi network, broadcasting data and you know back to the manufacturers. And in many cases, accepting, of course, updates of the software that you allow it to put onto your system. So, so all those things start working together, and this is where you have all these different points of entries and vulnerabilities that are existing. So to give you a, a scary story about this, you got the Blakely family there in Mississippi. They've got a ring security camera in the bedroom of their three daughters, and there's a built-in speaker. All, all of a sudden, it starts piping, and the song tipped through through the tulips. I assume it's... Uh, it's the it's the fellow uh, who who made it famous in the '60s on Johnny Carson, uh, and then the guy, Tiny Tim, and then the guy uh, starts uh, speaking to the little girls through the uh, through through the device, repeatedly using a racial slur. So, how can you protect yourself against uh, uh, crazy people uh, hacking into your systems? Well, the first thing is what they call two two step authentication, two factor authentication, meaning. If somebody is going to get into your device or make a change to the profile to add themselves as a user, for instance, the system will actually send you a text message asking if you approve this. That's number one. And that's what Ring recommends. And I suggest that for every device you have that offers you, you know, two-factor authentication, that you should do that. Because that so it doesn't come auto- automatically equipped like that. You no, have to actually take no. the step yourself if you have the option. Well, you have the option. It's, it's the configuration that you can set. You just have to agree to do this. Now, what happens is a lot of people see it as being inconvenienced, and especially since these devices are all based on bringing convenience into our lives, 
these steps that make them more inconvenient are things we don't want to do. But the problem is all this convenience they offer isn't free. It comes at a price. And that price is that you need to take steps to ensure that these devices are indeed secured and don't allow random hackers to get access to your data. What do you think about the inherent, the future of uh, Internet of Things connectivity and you know connecting every object in our lives to to uh, the internet and making our lives more efficient that way and convenient that way? If if tied in with that is as computer security experts will tell you, uh, there's inherent vulnerability based on the fact that every single Internet of Things device has individual individually built purpose-built hardware it's not like an all-purpose computer uh that on your desktop or a laptop or even a phone that kind of has to do everything if you've got a smart light bulb the chip in that light bulb is specifically engineered just for being a light bulb and it's really hard to put antivirus software on a light bulb because it might not have the capacity for that is is there just danger built into the future of internet of things connectivity because of the specific needs of the hardware that we're working with well, there certainly can be, but even in the sense, even even in the case of the smart light bulbs, there is normally a a username and password associated with that light bulb that comes from the manufacturer. Now, the danger is it isn't always, you know, easily and and prominently published as to how you need to go and obtain that and then change it to something that's more secure once you install it, you know, on your network and in your house. Uh, but and to your earlier question, of course, all these things working together has great opportunities. And I published an article in Forbes recently called, uh, you know, the unexpected consequences of big data, that every time there's something convenient and that looks good, what happens is it also has a negative aspect where there are just people out there looking to use that same data for nefarious purposes. We're so, talking with uh, Ed. We're talking with Ed Peters, tech expert. Ed, you know, I referred earlier to the fact we're in this total surveillance society. And I guess we just have to accept it. I mean, you walk down the street, and maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it discourages bad guys from doing bad things. But you walk down the street, and when you're out in public, at any given point, you may well be, you probably are on camera. But when you get into the home, that seems to be kind of scary 1984-type stuff with the two-way screens, the big brothers watching. And aren't we kind of there? I mean, people worry and wonder about Alexa and their TV sets and all these voice-actuated things. Somebody may be listening at all times, whether you know it's it's voice actuated or not. I mean, isn't that concerning? But is there any way to put the genie back into the bottle? Well, number one, it is very very concerning, and this is where you need to really take steps. For instance, uh, going through your cell phone or or your mobile phone and looking at how many apps you have that actually are using location services. Now, you can turn that off, but you have to go through and turn it off. And it's the same thing with microphone services. You have to go through, look at all the apps that are requesting microphone services, and either leave that on or turn it off. And, and these are toggle switches and things you need to do. And additionally, this is a scary situation. And not only that, what makes it more, to me, more, um, in, in a sense, uh, not just scary, but also, all-encompassing is that it's self-surveillance. And what I mean is, it's not like we're in cases known in China, where they're actually taking servers and devices and capturing 
cell phone addresses, as well as using facial recognition of people coming and going within certain uh, certain geographies, and I mean within city blocks and even buildings, this is a case where you're actually installing a device like a ring doorbell and then using the neighborhood's app that it comes with, and now you're actually agreeing to surveil yourself. And beyond that, uh, now few, few people really understand this, the service agreement with Ring allows them to have perpetual rights to use the footage for any purpose you know it might desire, meaning advertising, research, anything. And, and a lot of that exists with Alexa as well as with any other listening devices. So all of these, you have to ask yourself, do a, do I really need this in my house? Is this something I want to have? Is it really adding, giving me the convenience that I think I need and what price am I paying for it? potentially. Yeah, you're right. And and the the this all brings to mind the legal angle, of course, that uh, lawyers have been thinking about for a while. I mean, the the legal standard uh for for this sort of stuff, surveillance. Uh, if if you, you know, whether information on you can be collected uh and whether someone can listen in on a conversation you're having, uh, that's all tied to this legal test based on the phrase the reasonable expectation of privacy. And you probably heard reasonable expectation of privacy in sort of general uh, uh lingo and culture it's bled into the culture but reasonable expectation of privacy has changed over time at one point phone booths offered a reasonable expectation of privacy and then uh, courts decided uh, that that conversations held in public uh, didn't uh, uh, you know weren't protected by the reasonable expectation of privacy because a reasonable person wouldn't think that they were, uh, you know, safe from overhearing in a phone booth all of a sudden. And that was a decision that came along with basically the deaths of, uh, death of phone booths. We Technology evolved to this point where we were all talking on cell phones and walking around and being overheard on a conversation was became a much more normal thing. And at a certain point, our our cultural expectation about the reasonable expectation of privacy uh, is going to morph. And we're not going to think that we have potentially a reasonable expectation of privacy in our own homes. And then we're going to look back and think, oh, no, the law doesn't even protect us in this scenario. So are you basically saying that we should be asserting our expectation of privacy, putting up barriers and sort of self-policing this and recognizing we're giving away a lot of data. We're just bleeding data into the void and information about ourselves. And we should sort of control our uh, Internet footprint more. Oh, I am. I think that's the the key piece here about privacy is that if, if right now we are, are guaranteed a level of privacy by the by the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, but it will only exist if we're willing to stand up and actually take the actions necessary to maintain it. If we're going to just give it away all the time, as you mentioned, then the reasonable expectations will change. I believe it was the Carpenter case that you you mentioned, you, you, you talked about in the Supreme Court that actually just, or Justice Roberts said there's no reasonable expectation that a citizen should believe they're going to be surveilled every point of the day. And mm-hmm. that, that, that was, that was a, a, significant, a significant ruling. Now, as we go forward with this, we really need to understand not only from the uh, technology standpoint itself, but really what is this technology doing? For instance, take the case of of facial recognition. With Ring, uh, there's the potential of that footage showing you walking down the street. Now they have that. They have your geolocation, you know, your address. They could easily start taking those pictures or those images and seeing if they could be used for facial recognition 
um, in, in the case of, of law enforcement. Now, is that something we should do? Well, probably not. Well, now, it is a tough question. I mean, Ed, uh, what, what if you've got a serial killer on the loose out there and uh, Bert the serial killer and they're struggling to find him? And uh, so the cops decide, well, we're going to turn our facial recognition uh, laser beam on the crowd at Disneyland. And, well, what do you know? There's Bert. And they got him right outside, you know, Splash Mountain. Right. So what's the problem with that? Well, you're always going to find a, a reasonable law enforcement use for our private data, but there are also rules in place for how that data is collected. Yeah, but well, don't you want to catch mm-hmm. Bert, the, the serial killer? He's out in public. Don't you want to catch serial killers, Ed? Do you hate people? Do you want them to get murdered? Well, here's the issue. Are you sure you're catching Bert? I mean, right uh, now, the best the best Bert lookalike? Cameras, yeah. The best cameras have an accuracy rate of of 90 plus percent, provided the picture is taken in appropriate light and from an appropriate angle. When you start to get into crowds, uh, that accuracy rate tends to drop to 60 percent and below. Now, have I really found Bert? And frankly, what is the accuracy rate of the camera as it's being used in these types of situations? My guess is it's quite low. And therein, there, and therein lies the problem. If the accuracy rate was, was good enough, then I'm sure that's Bert. And there's a warrant for Bert for some type of nefarious act. That's one thing. If well, I'm eh, 30% sure that might be Bert, am I going to go take Bert away from his family? Tough him, arrest him, and make sh- and, and then take him downtown and verify him. You're, you're right. You make a good right point. Use. You make a good point about the accuracy of this. But, but just imagining for a moment that we could say we're jump ten years into the future and uh, uh, face print ID matching mm-hmm. is as good as a lock and a key Ooh, in everyday thrilling. life, and we've got perfect matching. Yeah. Is it possible? That we still draw a line in the sand and we say we don't want to use our, our, our public uh, faces that we walk around with and show on, on the street every day, that that's just too much of a boundary crossing line. It's like the torture debate. We all know torture doesn't work, but even if it did work, even if torture did work, it would be morally wrong to do it. Yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough it, right? question. I, I, is I a have line an you idea, though. If we get the wrong bird, I say we treat him like we did with Richard Jewell, you know, on the bombing. We oh, just God. say we're sorry and we let him go. Yeah, it all works out. All right, I spoilers, by the way. Ed Peters, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing part of your holiday season with us. A big, important topic. Thank you for your insights. Well, great. It's a, it's a great topic and one that we're going to be struggling with for a while. So I'm, I'm glad to be able to, to help a little bit. Thanks a lot. You have a great holiday and New Year's. Talk to you soon. 221 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC, Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks in for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweeden. When we come back, the strangest comfort animal you've ever heard of here on KBC. Twenty-six. The time at Talk Radio seven ninety KABC. The place Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks in for Doctor Drew and Leanne Tweeden. So you got the uh, millennial progressive over there on the other side of the studio. Hello, my son. And you got the uh, baby boomer libertarian on this side. And doggone, we don't seem to be agreeing on on much today. But maybe Can't we can agree why. on this story: the idea of a possum as a comfort animal flying through the air. 
Would you be comfortable with a possum uh, trying to rip your face off? Heck no. Possums yeah. are like the scariest animal on the planet. Now, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not a phobic. Like, I don't, I don't feel, you know, like arachnophobia doesn't afflict me. Spiders can be cute and cuddly sometimes. But there's no, there's no circumstance where a possum, which looks like uh, some sort of gigantic mutant radioactive rat <laughs> with a skull on it, the outside of its face somehow is in any way cute and cuddly and could offer a human being comfort. I just can't imagine it. You know, I'm surprised that the airlines are actually cracking down because I heard they got into such trouble if they said no to somebody. Right. And if somebody had a legitimate need, they've right. got an anxiety condition, yeah. and they really can't fly mm-hmm. unless they've got that comfort animal. And if the airlines say no and then don't win in the dispute, they end up spending like a half a million bucks in, in fines and penalties. But... Uh, they're cracking down because, I mean, I've read about miniature horses. They let a miniature horse on, and then they realized, oh, he wasn't, he won't fit in coach right. where his owner is. So they had to put the horse and the horse owner up in first class. Pretty soon, the aisle down the middle of first class is like a slip and slide of, <laughs> I won't describe exactly what it was. But, yeah, and so now they've, they, they have a crackdown. JetBlue only allows small dogs and cats in an approved pet carrier. Mm. Recently, I mean, I've heard stories about, you know, monkeys ripping people's faces off. <laughs> I mean, you're trapped bulls. in a plane. You can't yeah. get away. There's an angry monkey on your plane and it's coming after you so just what, to get at your peanuts. So what happened is this uh, fellow, Gerald Toutnan, uh, he brought along his pet possum, Zatara, on a JetBlue flight from Long Beach to Austin. Uh, but on the return flight, the airline realized it wasn't a dog or a cat. It was a possum. So he was kicked off. He was stranded for days. Wow. Finally, finally booked a ticket on a United flight. Why didn't he take Amtrak? Uh, and so he was talking to the press, and he said, I didn't want to lie to United about Zatara, the name of the possum. Who knows where he came up with that? Uh, but, you know, he, he feels like uh, he's been ripped off, and so he's contemplating a lawsuit. He explained that Zatara is the best pet ever because she basically sleeps 20 hours a day. I'm thinking, hey, if that's what you like, get a stuffed animal. They sleep 24 hours a day, right? Yeah. In 2017, a Saudi prince filled an airplane with falcons and an emotional support peacock, but he was banned from a United flight. My favorite of all is when a guy brought along a, an emotional support monkey, and the monkey had an emotional support parrot <laughs> on his shoulder. So that's what life is. Well, you got to keep that animal calm. I'll say that uh, Zatara is uh, potentially, possibly a uh, reference to Giovanni uh, John Zatara, a uh, fictional character from the DC universe. Really? Yeah, a, uh, a oh. magician who's also a superhero. Um, kind of, uh, kind of the uh, DC answer to the X Men's uh, version of the uh, magician who's also a superhero. Uh, so you could say uh, a. You know, who knows which for it came first, chicken or the egg. But I'm just offended on now another fundamental level that we've got a reference to a DC comic and not a Marvel comic. Because that offends me at such a base I'm, level that I, I just can't even speak. I'm just unhappy that we don't no longer have phone booths and therefore no place for a Superman to change. Yeah, 2.30 the time. Talk Radio 790 KABC, the place. Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks in for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweeden. Time for news headlines. 2.35 the time, Talk Radio 790-KABC, Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks, in for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweeten. So, Connor, uh, no pressure here, but uh, how's your Christmas shopping done? <coughs> A lot of important presents, uh, perhaps uh, still on the list. Uh, 
I would say parental presence might be maybe an in the top of part the of that equation. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that I've gotten the first twenty or thirty presents that uh, will be addressed eventually to Royal Oaks, but uh, the last forty or fifty are still in the works. Mm. So you're you're not quite done. Is I mean, what you're saying? I'm never all the quite done. Three days ahead of time. You kidding me? Three days ahead of time? You know, oh, God, I would, say, two days ahead I would of time. say your sisters are a little better than you are when it comes to getting this kind of thing done early. Is it? Is it sort, sort of had this conversation thing? before? Do you I take think. after your mom? Is that is that the problem? <laughs> that might be the problem. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I think you know your genetics is a mixed bag, and we get the good and the bad. Uh, and uh, you know, I got good stuff from you, but not that. It's funny how people fall into those two categories. Some people are they're really super organized; they get it done. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And other people like to kind of leave it to the last second, well, you know, a little, little added pressure. You know, there's a lot of pressure always to find the right. I mean, gift giving, there's nothing more personal than giving a gift to right. someone else. You're saying, I know your deepest, darkest desires, your soul. I know who you but are. But if you started you four weeks ago and got it done two weeks ago, maybe that would make <laughs> life simpler. I mean, I'm not trying to preach. It probably Papa would. Papa Don't Preach. It uh, probably isn't that would. what the Madonna song was about? It was about buying gifts early? Oh, yeah. Um, let me just think about all the Madonna songs that I know and listen to. Um, oh, so she's not on the millennial radar screen is what you're saying. You know, she actually is. She's still, she's eternal, of course. Well, I suppose. So, um... Capital punishment. Here's a favorite uh, talk show topic. Uh, Interestingly, uh, the death penalty is falling out of favor to the point where I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, kind of the the stake into the heart of it. For a long time, Connor, the the controversy over the death penalty wasn't how popular it was. It was always supported by 65, 75, 80 percent of the population, Mm -hmm. law of the land, blah, blah, blah. But people got sneaky Politicians and judges who didn't like it got sneaky. Right. Now, years ago, we had a chief justice of the California Supreme Court named Rose Byrd, and she uh, was kicked out of her job yeah. because she didn't like capital punishment, mm-hmm. even though that was the law. And in 55 straight cases, what are the odds? In 55 straight cases, she found a, a flaw, a defect. Oh, the evidence was admitted when it shouldn't have been. Oh, the jury instruction was wrong. I'm right. going to have to vote against this. Instead yeah. of just being honest and saying, look, I'm sorry, I have a personal, legal, philosophical, religious, whatever objection to capital punishment, so I'm I'm not going to go. Instead, right. she basically lied uh, over and over, and the voters kicked her out. Right. So then, now fast forward, we got Governor Gavin Newsom, and California has the death penalty. We not only have the death penalty, we re-upped on it and approved it a couple of years ago in an initiative. Some people wanted to ban it, but the majority, slim majority, but the majority said, no, we're going to keep it. Right. So Gavin Newsom comes in and says, okay, I'm the brand new governor, and guess what, folks? Moratorium. No, moratorium. No executions on my right. watch. Where does he get off trying to tell us this? And then the other people say, well, uh, we can't trust the lethal cocktail of the three drugs, you know. Who right. knows whether it's uh, these poor um, uh, killers uh, are suffering and so on. Right. How hard can it be? We put down our wonderful fluffy and whiskers animals every day of the week. I'm sure they're not suffering. How hard can it be to put together a lethal cocktail? Well, it's, it's very hard because uh, most of the medical profession uh, won't help you. They won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. You've got a situation where doctors take the Hippocratic Oath. Veterinarians, uh, I don't believe, take uh, the Hippocratic Oath. They might take a, an animal version of it in, yeah. in some form, uh, but doctors will tell you... First, do no harm to Fluffy. Right. Our job is first, do no harm. So I'm not going to get recruited to your dirty little scheme to put people to death. It's 
it's literally against my personal ethical code and the law and everything else. It, it, doctors don't do it. So it's really hard to find doctors who will. And when you do, it's hard to find drug companies uh, who will sign on to it because of the potential PR backlash. And eventually you end up with, with politicians saying, you know what? I'm going to be a moral leader on this, and I'm going to change public opinion uh, because what I do is guide the public. No, you you're, you got a good point there. Hey, because we're nothing if not flexible here, uh, let's move back to our topic of uh, gift giving of, of a minute ago because Mike in Las Vegas wants to weigh in. Mike, welcome to KBC. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank, Thank you. you. Same to you. Uh, Thank you. Well, here's how I've decided to gift to the several people that will be at my sister's house. I went to the bank, and I had them uh, get me crisp 20s, 10s, 5s, 2s, and 1s. And instead of giving gift cards, I gave them, uh, I put uh, in a lovely uh, card denominations of uh, uh, these mixed denominations very neatly and said, I think you'd rather spend the money at a place of your choice than me pick a gift card which you might not want to use yeah i mean you're absolutely right that gives them the most choice isn't that kind of impersonal and rational i mean you know hal from the movie 2001 might give a gift like that i would just worry about little Susie looking over at her sister little sally and saying oh how much did uh, uncle mike give you is it 17 dollars? i only got seven dollars what's wrong with me why does uncle mike hate me i mean how do you deal with that it's too direct and obvious and clear cut Complete equanimity. Oh. Got the same, except my wife got a whole lot more. Okay. So tough, tough luck. But uh, would you, uh, here's a question to, uh, to, to the uh, always uh, uh, well-thought-out Oaks. Would you rather get a $75 gift card to a place that you don't like or $50 in cash? No, you're absolutely right. Uh, aside from the sentimentality of it, I absolutely agree. Cash is so much better because think of all the gifts we get every Christmas that we look at with, oh, my gosh, you know, the, I, I wouldn't wear that on a bet. So, yeah, you're right. I'd rather have the $50 in cold, hard cash. But uh, it does, you know, it takes a little of the magic out of the holiday to just, to just give cash. But when you open up that package with its ugly Christmas sweater in it, you're filled with a warm sentimentality that says, oh, this person loves me they care about me they looked at this hideous sweater and they said oh this would be perfect for connor and even though they were dead wrong i know that they put some thought into it you know and and that means something and and so i i I really love that sweater and i'll wear it even though it is the most hideous thing ever oh no is is my mother watching (laughs) the listening oh no it's very festive 243 the time talk radio 790 k abc stick with us 247 The Time, Talk Radio 790K, ABC, Royal Oaks, and Connor Oaks, in for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweeden. So, uh, gosh, we've had a, several nice callers today, Connor. Uh, wish us a uh, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Uh, now, the thing is, Con, they don't know if we're Rosicrucians mm-hmm. or Rastafarians right. or what. Right. So, is a progressive um, millennial? Do you have a problem with somebody blurting out "Merry Christmas" to of us? Of course they, not. You don't. Why would I have a problem? With someone 
blurting out a phrase but that Fox signifies News the Christian got... industrial complex that has put its boot on our culture for hundreds and actually thousands of years. That you're controls gonna, morality in this country. That tells us who, who's good and who's bad. That politicians still have to put their, their hand on a Bible and ascribe to and say, well, this book right here says that I'm a yeah. good person, so trust me and believe me. And then, of course, they run around and do terrible things and, and uh, in so the name of their religion. So what you're saying is, is Fox News is right. There is a war on Christmas Only going me. On I'm the there. only one waging the You're war the on warrior. Christmas. The There's Christmas nothing warrior. wrong, of course, with hearing the words Merry Christmas, but I'll, I'll tell you what. I don't like it. Well, I prefer you happy I like. holidays. You know, I'll tell you what I like. I like the guy that went into Starbucks last year oh Christmas gosh. time, and they say, okay, I'll have your double latte with a maca- macchino mm-hmm. uh, pretty soon. Uh, what's your name? And he looks at him and he smiles and he says, little lady, my name is Merry Christmas. And she says, okay. So she writes it on the cup. And then 47 minutes later, when the caramel macchiato is ready, <laughs> they blurt out, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Right. And he's standing there. And he's so glowing. Happy, he's won. Glowing. Victory. Glowing. He's, he's won. It's, uh, Starbucks would be quick to tell you they don't actually. That was clever. There it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't actually prescribe anything about the way that their employees uh, and the franchisees run these uh, outlets. They don't say you can't say Merry Christmas. Yeah. They don't say you can't say Happy Holidays. They don't say anything. You can say whatever you want as an employee of Starbucks when you're greeting folks. As long as it's you know generally inoffensive, you can say Happy Hanukkah as they walk because it happens to be the first day of Hanukkah, or I guess now second or third day of Hanukkah. But you can do whatever you want, and there's this fake narrative that Starbucks, for some reason specifically, hates cops, Christians, uh, single moms. Well, I don't even know. E- there have been examples of uh, some of the baristas and mostly, on the law enforcement officers. Mostly those have been shown under scrutiny to have been concocted and cooked up by law enforcement who really? want to push that I narrative. Thought I thought you were going to say Fox News. No, no, yeah. the Fox News is the ones who rerun the stories that the cops send them. But yeah, this is these are there's no war on Christmas. There's no war on law enforcement in their local Starbucks. You there know, are people out there in the streets yelling cops are bad, but it's not in Starbucks. Starbucks. You, you know the guy who uh, who was clever enough to say his name was Merry Christmas. Yeah, brilliant uh, is about as smart as Bart Simpson. You remember Bart's gag? Oh, of course. Uh, he would call up Moe's bar yeah. and he would say, "Oh, uh, could I speak to Al? His name is Alcoholic." Oh, and so Moe would yell, "Hey, is there an Al here? Is there an alcoholic here?" So that's the classic. Yeah, very very. Is your clever refrigerator stuff. running? These are high level jokes. So we were talking about capital punishment falling more out of favor, and uh, these are statistics. These statistics are pretty amazing. The number of people sentenced to death dropped this year to the second lowest since 1973. Mm-hmm. So far in 2019, fewer than 40 death sentences are likely to be imposed. Number of executions fell to 22. The second lowest level in nearly three decades. Uh, plummeting rates of violent crime, greater scrutiny of wrongful convictions, and the increasing expense and difficulty of carrying out executions have all contributed to a two-decade-long plunge in the use of uh, death penalty. This is all according to the Wall Street Journal uh, a couple of days ago. I mean, it seems to me like since the support for capital punishment has been creeping down from mm-hmm. the 70 to 80 range to close to 50-50, I would think this is going to push it over. So pretty soon we're going to see. And we have a couple of justices on the U.S. Supreme Court who express some real doubt as to whether it isn't cruel and unusual punishment starbucks bless us we're actually changing public opinion we're actually moving in what i think is the right direction we're moving towards the stance that the public will finally say it's just not right for the government to kill people we don't do that we might uh, impose lots of punishments on them but what we don't 
do is kill in the same way that we don't ascribe to some ancient eye for an eye idea. And when someone commits a sexual assault, do we sexually assault them? No, that's not how we solve problems in modern society. We, we in- incarcerate people for multiple purposes. Yes, in one sense, to satisfy our sense of retribution, but we also do it for rehabilitation and we also do it to protect the public. We have to take all these things into account. And there's no uh, there's no moral value to be gained in a state sponsored murder. And we are, I think, moving in that direction in public opinion. Well, you you may be happy with the result in the next few years because that seems to be the trend. On the other hand, I think the uh, campaign against capital punishment would be stronger if folks could point to even a single proven case of a mistaken execution, which is pretty amazing that uh, after all of the centuries of use in America, they still don't have evidence of that. 2.52 The Time, Talk Radio 790, KABC The Place, Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks, in for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweeten. Stick with us. Two fifty-seven. The time. Talk radio. Seven ninety K A B C. Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks in for Dr. Drew and Leanne Tweeden. Well, we started out talking about how uh, Dr. Drew was such an iconic figure, mm-hmm. a very influential force in your life. So I, I think you've acquitted yourself quite well in, in honor of, of Dr. Drew. Um, the we've talked about Connor, the War on Christmas, but mm-hmm. there's a, a front, a special front in the War on Christmas, Ooh. and that's War on Santa. <laughs> Now, traditionally, Santa has been depicted as a pretty squeaky clean kind of guy, you know? He's got I would a, say, yeah. He's got a weight problem. But sure. uh, other than that... He's um, working on it. I mean, tradi- everybody's enabling him with us milk and cookies at every single house across <laughs> billions of households. That's and true. It's, it's not you, his fault. How could you not plump up? It's just like uh, that uh, Santa Claus movie with Tim Allen where he just right. kept getting fatter and fatter. Mm-hmm. And his, his boss, uh, Peter Boyle, I think, said, eat a piece of fruit. A classic. Always good advice. So anyway, the traditional ad shows Santa hoisting up a Coca-Cola, right? That's true. It's well, now become traditional. Here's the modern version, Con. Uh, Walmart Canada is apologizing for an adults-only Christmas sweater oh, that many I... considered to be in bad taste. Oh, no. The wetter show, sweater shows Santa with cocaine in front of him and the words, let it snow. Oh, my. Yeah, Santa is standing there in front of three lines of cocaine so on they the had, table. Was that in stores at Walmart? Yeah, yeah. And the sweaters were sold by a third-party seller uh, on Walmart.ca. That's... So I, I'm not sure exactly how. Oh, but Walmart was attached okay. to it one right, way or the right, other. Right, right. So um, they didn't do it on purpose. I thought this was Walmart getting edgy. I thought this was Walmart getting into the swing of the holiday season and saying, no I, press is bad press. I kind of doubt that. They Probably say, we've not. removed these products from our marketplace. We Probably wise. We apologize for any unintended offense this may have caused. Uh, several other risque seasonal sweaters were taken down under a social media uprising. So, yeah, that's that's not good uh, for, for the well, image. Well, funny, ugly sweaters have become a real trend. I mean, you got to decide how, how edgy you want to get with selling your products in your Walmart or anywhere else because uh, that's what the consumer might want. Oh, absolutely. And I would think that, uh, you know, Amazon had a tough call. But they also uh, they also pulled the sale of, of the sweaters. I probably wouldn't wear the sweater. No, no. <laughs> no matter how funny it would be. There are enough ugly holiday sweaters uh, floating around. <laughs>